Christmas. I'm going to work from a parallel passage that Howard read a few minutes ago. In Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 30. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God declared the greatest commandment of all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And Mark chapter 12 verse 30 says, and with all your strength. Jesus gives this response to a lawyer, to a scribe, a Pharisee, who was well versed in the law. And his intent in approaching Jesus was to test him. He was testing him on the greatest commandment in the law. In Jesus' reply to the scribe, we find the hub of true Christianity. Loving God with all. Loving God with all. With all of our heart. As we think of our heart, it is the depth of our emotion, the center of feeling. To love God with all of your soul, the breath of life, the existence of us. To love God with all of your mind, all of the intellect, all of our thinking, the thinking part of man. To love God with all of your strength. It includes all of our talents. It includes all of our energy. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength remains the cornerstone of the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13 says... Of faith, hope, and love, love is the greatest. Jude 21 says, keep ourselves in the love of God. Paul prayed that the Thessalonians' hearts would be directed toward God's love. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. Now ask us, why should we love God? Does God have the right to demand of us such a love? But has God not loved us with His all? Listen to these verses. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love Him because He first loved us. John 3.16, you can all quote it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God demonstrated His own love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And then Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us 
and hath given himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. As we think about the cross of Christ, everything that God has done for us, we're reminded of the words from the old song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. How does a person love God? Do you say, God, I love you? No, that's not sufficient. Because in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it says that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Love is demonstrated through our willingness to follow. John chapter 14, verse 15, and John chapter 14, verse 23 says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. If a man love me, he will keep my words. This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. So of the first of the four attributes that we, have, we cover, I'm going to change the word from love your God to love our God. Love the Lord our God with all of our mind. That is the thinking part, the intellect, the decision-making ability. It's with the mind that we figure our income tax. It's with the mind that we make important discoveries. It is primarily the mind that is trained in school. God wants this part of us devoted to Him. That's why it's so important for us, for our children, to be in attendance in Bible classes, to train our mind in the teaching and the study of God's Word. We love love with our minds when we plan intellectually and make the right decisions. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16 says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Matthew 6, 33 Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and His righteousness. One who loves God will make time for family, helping others, and working for the Lord. Our minds will be used as keen tools, deciding not what is best for me, but rather what is best for the plans and the purposes of God. Let us remember this is only one-fourth of the commandment. The second one, love the Lord our God with all of our heart. And to love God with all of our heart is the emotional state, the center of feeling, our affections, our passions. Love God with all of our heart. If we are in God and God is in us, we should be enthusiastic We should be filled with fervent feeling. Without emotion, no one can be moved. Consider the kinships of these words. Emotion, motion, and motor. The motor in the car is the power that makes it go. 
Motive in a life does the same thing, and motive is emotion. Loving God with all of our heart causes us to obey Him, not because we must, but because we want to. Loving God with our heart causes us to love Him because above all else. Loving God with all of our heart causes us to repent like David. Loving God with all of our heart causes us to be baptized like the Jews on the day of Pentecost. Loving God with all of our heart causes us to buffet our bodies like Paul. Loving God with all of our heart causes us to give liberally like Zacchaeus. In the greatest of these commandments, Jesus implied that there must be a blending of the heart and the mind, a blending of the emotion and the intellect. We compared the emotion to the motor of a car, but the intellect might be compared to the steering apparatus. It takes both for the car to reach the desired destination. Third, love the Lord our God with all of our strength. And all of our strength would entail our talents and our energy. If we are truly love the Lord, that love will be expressed in action and then expressed in obedience. Christianity is a doing religion. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. James wrote, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves, in James 1.22. Paul said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due or what is done in the body, whether good or evil. A person who is unwilling to use his strength, and his strengths being his talents, as well as his energy in the service of God, is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. We love God with all of our strength when we use what we have from God. That ability plus that opportunity equals responsibility. We love God with all of our strength when we give God our best. God wants us to give of our time, our money, our talents, and our energy ahead of other activities. He wants the best that's in all of us. Do you remember Samson? Samson, he was certainly loved God with his strength, but he failed to love God with his mind and his heart. Working for God indicates the genuineness of our love. The last one. Love the Lord our God with all our soul. The soul in the list that Christ gave was the second. I've put this last because this gives a summary of the overall response to the Father. We think of the soul, we think of that being synonymous with the spirit or the eternal part of man. But in this text, the soul represents life, the life within a man, the breath of life. To me, to love God with all of one's soul 
is to love Him with all of one's being. To love Him with all one has. All one has and all one can be. To love God with our lives includes putting God above the material things of this earthly life. A willingness to sacrifice our lives for Him. If necessary, and a willingness to use our lives in service to Him to all mankind. In conclusion, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Our whole life is a love letter written to God by the way we live. Let me say that again. Our whole life is to be a love letter written to God by the way we live. A laborer uses his hands. A craftsman uses his hands and his head. An artist uses his hands, his head, and his heart. But a Christian a Christian uses his hands, his head, his heart, and his life for God. I too want to express to this congregation for your faith and love that you demonstrate in action. Love and Learn Daycare, Teen Challenge Meals, House of Hope, Bridal Teas, Cards of Encouragement, Meals for Bereaved Families, Jail Ministries, Teachers, <laughs> Elders, Deacons, Working with Youth, Evangelism University, and the list goes on. I praise you for your faith, for your love, for God. Thank you. Continue with number 625, number 625, Zion's Call. Zion's call sweetly rings over land and sea, bidding us look to realms above. While the light from the throne shines for you and me, let us listen to the call of love. Zion's call is ringing, coming from the throne above. While we hear it ringing, let us heed the call of love. On the road to the gold burdens we must bear, but we have help from realms above. We receive courage new when we kneel in prayer. Let us listen to the call of love. Zion's call is ringing, coming from the throne above. While we hear it ringing, let us heed the call of love.
greatest commandments. We've uh, one of my favorite songs is the greatest commandments. And uh, how many years of classes and sermons have we heard about this this passage in this section of the Bible? And and uh, I think that we can maybe we can explore some things about that. Pharisee, Pharisees had. Um, Questioned Jesus about this. Uh, Jesus had dispatched the Sadducees with the tail between their legs, and the, the Pharisees had even got a lawyer to ask Jesus this question. And there was nothing new in Jesus' answer because he knew that uh, these people knew the scriptures and they knew the Old Testament because that's what Pharisees did. And he even sent a lawyer. Um, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your might. And it, it tells about that these should be on your mind at, at morning, at night. And, and in some suggested that it should even be uh, recited to you in your, when you see death. Um, even the, uh, the Ten Commandments. The first four Ten Commandments are uh, about our love for God, and the, the second six commandments are our relationship with people and our love for other people. Let's go back to the Pharisees. They had this question. Of course, it was a trick question. And one night in jail, I was um, I was teaching away, and I had mentioned the Pharisees several times, and. One of the guys raised his hand and he said, I've got a question, David. And I said, sure, what is it? And he said, what's a Pharisee? And, you know, I sat there and thought, and they, they don't know what a Pharisee is. Took me back to my days of coaching t-ball. And um, I've got, uh, the, the rule was when the ball was held on the infield, that you know, they, the time was time was called, and a runner could quit running. And, and if you were over halfway, went on to the next base. If you were not, you go back. If you ever have gone to t-ball games, it's more comedy than ball. But uh, I kept out there coaching the kids, and I kept telling them about it. Get the ball to the infield. Get the ball. One of the, after one of the practices, the mother said, "David, you got to understand. These kids don't know what the infield is." <laughs> and I said, "You know what? I bet you're right." So from then on, I said, "Get the ball to the dirt." So I tried to apply this same philosophy to my explanation of what a Pharisee was to guys in jail. And I don't know how it came to me. I'm amazed that I came up with this. But I think, I said, well, a Pharisee is a religious policeman. And I said, um, they're obsessed with Old Testament law and things that, um, that are not, uh, that man, man-made laws that they have come up with. And that is their job to police religion and, and obeying these laws. In fact, in, in my studies, um, I found out they had six, 613 separate laws that they were supposed to enforce. Now, some of these were Old Testament laws, and the Pharisees were under the guise of protecting the Old Testament laws, but other things they were made that were man-made laws. And they were more interested in the letter of the law than they were the heart. So, my question to you is, 
Sometimes are we religious policemen ourselves? Um, it's easy to read this story in, in, Old in Old Testament and New Testament and to realize the, the Pharisees, in fact, uh, it's a synonym now for a hypocrite. If you call somebody a Pharisee, it's a synonym for a hypocrite. Um, but it's easy for us to see that. But sometimes, you know what? I believe that we do the same thing without meaning to, but do we, do we try to apply... Do we try to apply New Testament laws and make them like they were Old Testament laws, like they're laws, and we have to do them? Do we, do we sort of police people or maybe members of what we call the Brotherhood because maybe they don't do things like we do sometimes, and because they don't do things like we do, then that's wrong? Even in Matthew, um, Matthew 15.1, which I didn't mark, uh, said, and when the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Sometimes maybe we're more interested in tradition than we are the heart of the law. Now, the question the Pharisees were facing was, who's my neighbor? And um, you can't claim to love God and then not love your neighbor. Uh, the Jews had... Uh, of course, they had rules, and everyone was to love their love their God. Of course, but in the question of of loving the neighbors, they qualified it. So there were people on the outsides, for instance, tax collectors, Samaritans, Gentiles, um, and and uh, and what they determined to be sinners. Who some of them could be loved, some and some of them not at all. So, you know, my question sometimes is, do we do the same thing? Well, sure we do, you know. We, we, we do that without meaning to, you know. The story of the Good, good Samaritan makes a really good point about, about religious leaders and who we're supposed to love. So let's, let's try to understand what Jesus meant by love. I can say, I love my dog uh, and I love ice cream. And um, I could say I love my wife a lot. She made me promise not to mention her name. But uh, so the words love, uh, when we say that, it, it means we feel affection or warm feelings. And, and so no wonder that we have trouble sometimes with loving our neighbor because um, we have, we're supposed to have warm feelings about people that annoy us or people that hurt us or some people that don't even deserve to be loved. So we're supposed to have warm feelings for that. I don't know if that's the, the, the fact is. I think what God wants us is a commitment from us to take their needs seriously, their emotional needs, their spiritual needs, and their physical needs. And that's what I think that was what that means. And so... And that doesn't really come naturally for us, but because, you know, why you go out and you do something for someone without asking any, anything in return, when it's most likely going to cost you either money or time. And that's hard. I think that's why the love for your neighbor is probably sort of short supply nowadays, and it always will be. Now, um, 
I stand up here and uh, I'm going to admit to you I'm a little uncomfortable with this. First, there's two reasons. First of all, y'all ain't got near enough tattoos uh, for the audience that I usually teach to. So, second of all, uh, you know, when they say I don't practice what I preach, it's hard to practice that. If I, if you call what I'm doing preaching right now, then it's hard to practice that, isn't it? Um, we have safe places. And sometimes we have to get out of those safe places to love our neighbor. Um, the guys in the jail are not there because they're model citizens. I think the um, as we as we embark upon a new work called the House of Hope, I think that's a really good way that we can love our neighbors. We've got I think we've got some opportunities in the in the weeks to come about flood victims, about loving our neighbor. Tell a little story. Elliot and I have had lots of conversations and um, for the uh, last two summers he's taught English in the Czech Republic in a, in a society that is so secular because of 40 years of Soviet rule. He said, they're good people but they don't know anything about God and, they're, and they don't care. And um, He's gone to the jail and taught, taught a few times with us when he was in from school. Um, he has, uh, he's now, at, in the fall, starting in the fall, he has taught freshman English to 18 and 19 year olds with a large percentage of them being from, at University of Memphis, large percentage of them being from inner, inner city schools. And then, uh, last summer, he taught at Mid-South Youth Camp he taught nine and ten-year-old boys. He said he learned a couple of things that he never wanted to teach nine and ten-year-old boys again. He taught for three weeks. He counted the days off. He said he finally resorted to bribing them with candy. And he learned, but he did learn a couple of things. Uh, one of which he never wanted to teach nine and ten-year-old boys again. The second of which, he asked them uh, what they what was their greatest fear. Unfortunately, uh, this, to the second second most common answer was that school um, school violence. I mean, they hear about this, and now, and sometimes they're afraid in school. the The first most the, the most what most a lot of them were afraid of was. He said it's kind of disappointing, but he said the, the one thing they were afraid of was they were afraid that they weren't going to be good enough to go to heaven. Now, isn't that sad that 9 and 10-year-old boys feel that way? And I think we have to examine the way we, the way we teach. The gospel is the good news. And, um, uh, and, and it disturbed him, and it disturbs me when, when 9 and 10-year-old boys feel that way. And we have to, we, maybe we have to do a little bit better job about teaching our kids about the good news. Um, I read across this and it says, we no longer have to love, we get to love. We don't love in order to get to heaven. We love because heaven is already ours in Christ. We don't love in order to win God's favor. We love because we already have God's favor in Christ. We don't love so that God will love us. We love because God has loved us in Christ with the greatest love we'll ever know, the crucified love of Jesus.
sing number 768. If you're able, I invite you to stand as we sing this song. Number 768. There is a name I love to hear, I love to sing its worth. It sounds a music in my ear, the sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because He first loved me. It tells me of a Savior's love who died to set me free. It tells me of His precious blood, the sinner's perfect plea. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Jesus, because He first loved me, it tells of one whose loving heart can fill my deepest woe, who in each sorrow bears a part that none can bear below. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because He first loved me. Please be seated. If you are using the book, I do need to amend a future slide. The Song of, Atten- Song of Invitation is number 18, number 18. As Howard stated, I was asked to lead a prayer tonight on behalf of Sister Linda Davis. And I've heard love mentioned here several times tonight. And I know that Linda and Larry Davis would love to be here tonight instead of where they are. But I talked to Larry this afternoon on the phone, and he asked if if he sent me a text, if I would read it to the congregation. It's uh, got a lot of information in it, but I know a lot of people have asked the status and where her situation stands, and I told him I would be happy to try to do that. Now, this is Larry's words, so it would be like he would be up here reading this to you himself. He says, a group of doctors just met with us. They will be doing another MRI tomorrow to try and identify what kind of vegetative growth that they have found on her aorta. They said they can treat the blood clot in her jugular vein and her neck and that if it did break off, it would travel to the lung where the lung would act as a kind of filter. However, if the small growth on her aorta is a bacterial or a fungicidal growth, would uh, treat things totally different. They could use the blood thinners to help with the clot, but if the spots on her brain are subject to bleeding, it could cause hemorrhage at these sites. They don't really know if the growth on her aorta might have caused the abscess on her liver or not. If the aorta growth is an infection or abscess, being on an artery, especially the aorta, 
could throw a clot directly to the brain and cause a stroke. They have ordered the MRI for tomorrow and have arranged for a panel of different doctors and specialists with various uh, areas of work uh, to meet and try and decide what might be best for her. They need more info so maybe they will make the best uh, treatment decision for her. They have her on heparin and a small aspirin to keep the blood thinner but don't want to get it too thin. If the growth is a valve problem, they will probably go in and replace the valve. Keep praying. And he had that in capital letters. Mom and I have placed our complete faith and trust in God to see us through all these health issues. That God will guide the thinking and hands of all that treat her. God does the healing and we are praying for a complete recovery. Pray hard. He had this in capital letters too. And ask others to do the same. Thanks for all the cards, texts, phone calls, visits, thoughts and prayers on her behalf in Christian love Linda and me. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we pause at this time to come before thee in prayer on behalf of Linda. To know Linda Davis is to love her and the good heart that she has, her mild demeanor, and what she means to all of us here at this congregation. Larry, all the family are so precious to each and every one of us. And she is fortunate to have a family that cares and loves her so much to do anything they can uh, to help. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you'd be with her through these oncoming tests. We just pray that whatever the things that they find will be to where they can control it and hopefully cure it. But we know, Heavenly Father, that, that you're the one that can cure all things for all of us, no matter whether it be health problems or whatever problems that we have in our life, that you have promised that you would be with us, you would take care of us, and certainly either way things should go with Linda. She, she will be a winner either way, and we know that. But we pray for her healing. We just pray for strength for her family to continue to stay by her. Heavenly Father, she knows that she has a Christian family here at the church that, that loves her and her family, and we stand ready and willing to do anything I know that we can do to help. But once again, Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would be with, with her. We know that, that she has to be uh, very anxious about uh, the upcoming test and procedures, but we just pray that maybe when... When they take the staples out in about four more days, maybe this will give her some relief as well. Heavenly Father, just go with that family. Go with all of us. We need thee every hour of every day in some way or another. But we just thank you for being there for us. We ask you to forgive us. Give us strength to help each other as has been displayed over this weekend. And once again, we're just thankful for this, uh, this church, the body here, and the community. 
But just take care of our Heavenly Father is our prayer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank Brother Ricky and Brother David. Uh, for the good lesson that they have brought to us tonight. And I thank Brother Albert for uh, the report and for the prayer that we have just had in Belinda's behalf. I thought tonight as we close this lesson that perhaps one of the best passages that I could read was one of the most familiar to us. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. I hope tonight that your relationship with God is exactly what it ought to be. Because God expressed the greatest love that has ever been expressed in the presence of humanity when he gave his son to die for you. God allowed his only begotten son to come to this earth to live for a little while among us and to die on the cruel cross of Calvary. Why did he do it? He did it that you might be saved. That I might be saved from the sin that separates me from God. The sin that condemns me. The sin that can put me in eternal damnation in that great and notable day of judgment. But God loved me enough that he provided a means of salvation. If you're not a Christian tonight, I hope you'll consider very seriously making that a reality in your life before you leave this building. If you're a Christian and there are faults in your life that you need to confess before this group, I hope that you'll do that. If there are those that want prayers in your behalf that you might be strengthened in your walk with God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation tonight, would you not come as we stand together and sing?